and then I'll go to verse 17. So 1 Peter chapter 2, 9 to 17. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that, through, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governing authorities who are sent by God to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom to cover up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. So in 2003, there was a 21-year-old rookie cop by the name of Jeff Postrel. And he was doing his routine patrol did what hundreds of other law enforcement officers and FBI agents could not do, he ended up arresting the nation's most wanted fugitive of that time by the name of Eric Rudolph. Uh, He's the guy that set off a bomb during the Olympics, at, at Atlanta Olympics way back in 1996 and other domestic terrorist activity. So Jeff Post, Postel, was simply working this overnight shift. And he spotted this suspicious guy in the back alley doing some dumpster diving, saw him crouching in the middle of the lane behind a shopping center. And so he went to address this man. First, he gave his phony name. Um, Later, when he was arrested, his real name showed up. And of course, that's when they found out he was this most wanted guy. But Poswell, the cop, thought he had first run into just a run-of-the-mill prowler at night, but discovered, of course, later his notoriety. He was a serious domestic terrorist, one of the most FBI's most wanted. Later on, the cop, the rookie, Jeff Postel, later says in rather straightforward humility, hey, I was just doing what I was supposed to be doing. Um, It's just a day in work. I don't deserve any credit at all. So when I read that article, it kind of caught my attention. Here's this rookie cop doing what he was supposed to be doing, to quote himself. Keeping his community safe, doing a good job with being a cop. So I thought about this. We as Christians are called by God to do what we're supposed to be doing. That is, living good lives and godly lives in society. That's what we're supposed to be doing. 
because we live according to a new identity in Christ. And part of the expression of that identity is actually to do good, to do good deeds, bring glory to God in everything that we do. And so in the case of Jeff the cop, what was his identity? Well, he was a policeman. He was a rookie policeman. Living out of his identity doing, was simply doing all the routine stuff of being a cop, including the overnight boring shift routines of making sure the community was safe. Doesn't take any credit, but his good work just happened to be the arrest of the nation's most wanted fugitive. Now, of course, you know, we're really not talking about law enforcement because none of us are, at least in our church. But whoever we are, we are called by God to represent Christ, to be his everyday witnesses by the good that we do in this world. I think that's Peter's central message here. So in this passage, you heard Peter urging us, urging believers that we are witnesses for Christ, whether we recognize it or not. And Peter's concern is God's concern. It's for the salvation of the world. Later he talks about God's great patience for the world. Not anyone to perish without Christ. That's the burden of First and Second Peter. This is the heartbeat of God. And even though believers in Jesus are called exiles and foreigners in the world, he doesn't want us to act like victims because, you know, we're minorities in this world or to feel sorry for ourselves or worse yet, lash out against the culture. Not at all. You know, just like in Peter's day, today there are many things in the world that anger you, that tick you off. And sometimes, unfortunately, in frustration or disagreement, some believers have turned to violence, unjustified disobedience and inappropriate behaviors, even vulgar language used against people and communities and civil servants, and then feel justified by their actions. I think that's quite sad. Jesus taught Peter very early on, put down that sword after he sliced the ear off that soldier in the face of arrest and hatred. Peter is basically teaching us the model of Jesus Christ as to say there is a much better way to be a witness for Christ. Now, Peter understands hardship, and this church understands hardship, and it would even get worse. These believers were going through difficulty. In fact, after Peter wrote his letter sometime later, he was arrested and he was martyred for his faith. So the question is, what does it look like to do the better way of Christ to be witnesses in our world? So this is what I want to talk about this morning. So let me give you four things. First of all, if you want to change slides, is know your identity. Know your identity your priestly identity. So Peter has been going through this breathtaking vision of who we are in Jesus, and it's really quite incredible. And because we are linked up with Christ in Jesus, we are, as Peter says, God's chosen people. 
We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We are God's special possession. And flowing out of this new identity includes this mission, a new mission. So the question is, what is this mission? Well, he goes on. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So what does it mean to declare the praises of God? It's more than simply singing songs. It's saying a very, very good word or demonstrating a very, very good action of what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. In other words, we're witnesses. And so in a very real sense, we are his witnesses who speak, who act the amazing truth about God and Christ for the world. So there's a word in there I'm going to pick up, and that's the word priesthood. That's a real interesting identity word. Now, this doesn't mean you quit your normal jobs and you put on priestly robes and you start chanting for Jesus, right? We know that. It doesn't mean that. But what does it mean? Well, um, I think we understand this through what priests of Israel normally did. They basically acted as mediators to help people to God. That's it. They're mediators to help people to God. So in a very real sense, by calling us priests, we too have the same responsibility. We are mediators for God, primarily to help people to God. We're like bridges. In fact, even ancient Israel, who themselves were exiles in Babylon, but God says, yeah, I know you're exiles, but... You need to be a blessing to the nations. Interesting. Even while they were exiles. So in Jesus, we are to be a special community of peace to the world, for the world, so that they may one day see God in Jesus for who he is and give glory to God. So maybe one day your friends, your neighbors, your schoolmates, your work associates, as you present Christ to them in the way you live, maybe one day they're going to give glory to God. Wouldn't that be wonderful, right? They speak the name of Jesus. You don't see it now, but God's saying, hey, I want to use you to demonstrate God's glory to them. So embrace your priestly identity. You are God's royal priesthood. Live your lives in a way that will help people come to God. Helping them move from, just as they move from, spiritual darkness to the light of Christ. Secondly, hold back from sinful desires. Hold back from sinful desires. Next, uh, next slide. Verse 11 says this. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that war against your soul. Now, we're a little bit surprised by Peter's sudden negative focus here, especially when we've been hearing about all this positive stuff about our identity in Jesus, right? You're a special possession, etc., etc., But I think it's a necessary reminder because just because you're God's special possessions, just because you're called the royal priesthood, it doesn't mean we're free to do as we please 
or that you will no longer be tempted by your own selfish, sinful desires. And I think we all know that, right? It's still in there kicking. In fact, a definite reason is given if you keep reading. It says, abstain from your sinful desires. And then he says, which wage war against your soul. I mean, that's pretty strong language. Peter's saying there's a war going on. I mean, how many stories have you heard in the last five years of respected Christian leaders who have fallen morally? Too many, right? And hey, there is a war going on. These were good people, respected people, but they fell. Their immorality, however, brought painful shame on churches and organizations and put a stain on their witness for Christ. So no wonder Peter is crying out, I urge you, right? Abstain from these sinful desires. They war against you. It is a reality. Peter implies there is a spiritual war against the church and with your, with, happening within your own soul and your own hearts. Now, why is this? Well, it's because we have an enemy. His name is Satan. He stands against Christ and the church, and he stands against anyone who represents them. And we just said that we are witnesses for Christ. So he will stand against you. Doesn't mean we should be scared, but we need to be responsible. We should not be surprised. That's the strong language. Abstain from sinful desires that wage against your soul. Let's never think we're beyond temptation to things like sexual immorality or financial indiscretion or bitterness or anger or apathy or pride. The war is on, folks. And Satan will try to strike you perhaps at your weakest, weakest point, and bring you down. That's why later on in the same letter, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, he says, Be alert and of a sober mind. The enemy prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. In Jesus' classic prayer, it's built right in. Right? Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us, Lord, from the evil one. If that's Jesus' recommendation, hey, I think we need to pay attention. You know, in the ancient Roman world, just like many parts of our world, people simply lived to satisfy their own desires. Does that sound like the modern world to you? Right? Now let's just live to satisfy every want. And so, Romans felt free to indulge in whatever sexual activity they wanted. In fact, the only thing maybe holding them back was a jealous spouse or their own spouse. If they can get away with it, fine. But my wife or my spouse doesn't know, fine, right? If you wanted to hoard food and all the possessions you wanted, there was nothing holding people back except for maybe their bank account, This is how the ancient world basically operated and how our world often operates. Now, to be clear, in Christ, sex, money, food, possessions are all gifts from God, right? We need to understand that thing. 
those things. But all in the proper place in time. For if our selfish desires are left to themselves, these things will turn into something bad. And there is no telling, if left to ourselves, how this will lead to downright, actually, stupidity, or drunkenness, or human destruction. So this is why we need the fruit of the Spirit, as we talked about months ago, especially the fruit of self-control through the work of the Holy Spirit in Galatians 5 and elsewhere. So hold back these selfish desires, simply because when left unchecked, they can destroy us in subtle ways. And so, you know, don't be afraid to talk about these type of issues with the Lord, right? They bring shame on us, and so we tend not to want to even bring it up with anyone and not the Lord. But don't be afraid to bring it up with with Jesus. Humbly come before him in your weakness and ask for his help. Sometimes you might need to make uh, drastic steps to eradicate. Um, if it's immorality in your life, you might have to make drastic steps to eliminate this in your life. Issues like pornography or alcoholism or greed or complaining or anger or gossip. Remember that Christ came to bring you freedom. Freedom. He doesn't want you to stay in prison to these things. And that you would find Victory and true peace and satisfaction in Jesus alone. So abstain from evil desires. Confess your sins. And then fill your mind with God's word and his Holy Spirit. And faithfully breathe in Jesus. Breathe in the Spirit each and every day. Thirdly, live good lives as a good witness for Jesus. Live good lives as a good witness for Jesus. Uh, Next slide. Verse 12 says this, Live such good lives among the pagans, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Uh, Earlier in in chapter 1, Peter said uh, in verse 14, Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he called you who is holy, be holy in all that you do. Living good lives is being holy. The word holiness is, I would say, no longer a favorable word because it's come to mean, unfortunately, the bad things that people do. That's it, right? So, you know, um, don't get tattoos, or don't do this, or don't do that, right? So it's become just a negative word. We must understand holiness to mean uh, separating ourselves from the community or society as well. But to Peter, holiness means good things, including good deeds, Not in isolation, but in a way that those who don't know Jesus might take notice of your good deeds. Um, Peter isn't talking about showing off, right? He's not talking about showing off, but simply about living beautiful lives 
within our communities so that one day your neighbor might glorify God on the day that Jesus returns. Later in Peter, 1 Peter, Peter speaks about words, and we'll talk about that, where we learn to speak words of hope and faith when people ask, right? Be ready for that. But right now he's talking about the way you live, the way you behave, your actions in Jesus, encouraging us to be witnesses through Christ by our own good actions and godly behavior. So as you speak to God this week, again, ask him maybe this question. Lord, how is my behavior in public places? Right? How do I behave in the community? What is your reputation in the community? How do you influence your community for God? Some might not like you simply because you go to church or you're a Christian, right? But that's something different, right? Peter talks about that. They might not agree with you, okay, he says. However, as Peter says, because of your faith in Christ's convictions and then your behavior, do they still respect you? That's a different matter, isn't it, right? Disagree with you because of your faith, but maybe, hopefully, they still respect you because you live your life with integrity. There's a big difference. And so take that up with the Lord. Lord, what is my behavior like in the community? And finally, we are good witnesses when we submit ourselves to all human authorities. Uh, Change slides, number four. Submit yourselves to all human authorities. Let me read a couple verses, first of all, from Peter. Um, Submit yourselves, for the Lord's sake, to every authority instituted among men, whether the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. And then Romans 13, 1, very similar, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Uh, I don't have time to explain everything, but these are profound verses. Unfortunately, sometimes for some Christians, because they view themselves as God's people or citizens of heaven, they feel as if they don't need to follow human authorities any longer. And I think that's a travesty. But according to God's word, God doesn't permit us to have disobedient and arrogant attitudes with human authorities when they pull behind you with flashing lights. And that's going to happen once in a while, isn't it? It's happened to me a few times, okay? And while you broke the speed limit, or you violated some other highway you know, law, as it says... God has placed human authorities in our lives for the good of society, right? So even human authorities need to listen to that. And they probably don't even know that, right? But yes, God's placed them there. They are here to punish, it says, those who break the law or those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. So God gives the 
police, our judicial court system, and other human authorities, right down to our civil servants in little towns across this land, authority over us to make sure that this country, our provinces, our cities and towns live in reasonable peace, safety, and morality, and for other various other reasons, right? Without any human authority. Can you imagine if we had no human authorities? We'd be the wild, wild west, a big gong show, right? An embarrassment to the world if Canada didn't have any human authorities. And of course, in some countries of the world, that actually exists. And you don't want to live there, right? So they are ordained by God. And if we do not have these people, then everyone will simply do what's right in their own eyes, and it will be a travesty. Now, of course, human authorities are human beings just like the rest of us. And they're going to make mistakes. In fact, you know that corruption does raise its ugly head now and again. Even so, when Jesus was arrested on false grounds, no grounds, he didn't act in violence or deceit. He did not lip anyone off. He submitted himself to the authorities, leaving it all in the hands of God. So we're going to talk more about that next week. Of course, God does not expect you to obey if what human authorities tell you to do leads you to sin against God, right? That's a whole different matter. Here in 1 Peter chapter 2 and Romans chapter 13, we're given basically a general principle for all people to submit in respect to human authorities because God is the one who placed them there. Doing good in society includes supporting the good that our human authorities are trying to do. We need to work together and live in peace. And so Christians should have proper respect for every human authority, supporting them and submitting to them so that we ourselves actually earn good reputations among them and within our society. We do it, actually, as Peter says, for the sake of Christ. Because, of course, he is the ultimate king, the ultimate authority. And by supporting them, we are helping bring peace to civilization, and we become a witness. So in verse 17, Peter concludes, show proper respect to everyone. The family of God... He says, and then he says, fear God, honor the emperor. In our case, honor the prime minister, right? Even if you disagree. And I'm sure the early church had a few disagreements with the emperor. But he says, honor him. Interesting. Uh, Last slide. How many of you love the aroma of your favorite food? Nobody. You all do. Of course you do, right? And, you know, when I was a boy, I remember, I loved it when my mother made my favorite dish, which changed multiple times, but at one stage it was Japanese curry rice. Oh, I loved it. And the smell would waft into my bedroom. And the smell or the aroma would draw me out of the bedroom 
into the kitchen. And I would sit down in a chair and I would wait. In fact, I'd even pitch in and help her because I was so excited for my favorite dish. And then when it came time to eat, I savored every spoonful of that heavenly dish. It was wonderful. So we are to be like the aroma of a tasty curry dish or whatever your favorite dish is. We are to the world, Paul says, the sweet aroma by the good that we do. Right? Rebecca Pippert years ago used to say, we need to play the music of the gospel. And this is what she's implying. Right? Your life is the music of the gospel. Your behavior is a sweet aroma for Christ and for his glory. So it says in 2 Corinthians 2, 15-16, We are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. So the best witness for Christ is a changed and transformed life. Right? That's the best witness. And so our lives must give evidence to what Christ has done. Change lives impact the culture. So embrace your priestly identity as mediators for God. Live with moral integrity. Do good to everyone. And respect every human authority. Because this is what it, this is what it means to do good deeds. And to be God's pleasing aroma. In our world. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you in humility that you have so chosen us to represent you. I mean, what a great honor. We are indeed your special permission, um, possessions. We are indeed undeserving of your mercy but we have received your mercy. And on top of that, we get to be your representatives. We get to speak for you and act for you. And I pray that in our everyday lives, you would help us to be those servants, those priests, those everyday people that through our lives, through our behavior, we would demonstrate the love of Christ and your mercy, and your peace. And so we ask for your help, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.